Pastor Dan, I think you should have your youth thing after the morning service. That way, instead of being a snack, it'll be a smack. Give the youth a smack after the morning service. No? Okay. Well, enough of that. Uh, We're in Philippians. We will continue where we left off in Philippians chapter 1. We'll begin reading this morning in verse 15. Invite you to follow along with me. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of the gospel to change our lives. Our songs this morning have pointed us very directly to the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to make us new creatures, to make the old pass away and everything else become new, to give us a new perspective, a new uh, purpose in life. So Lord, I pray that the proclamation of your word this morning would do that as well, that you would use your word to impact how we see life, how we prioritize life, and that you would receive the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Our series is The Mind of Christ. Let's go ahead and get to our theme verse. I think that's the next slide as they're editing on the fly, I see. Uh, Our theme verse is from chapter 2, which uh, gives us a, an overview of what the whole book about is about. So I invite you to read it along with me. Philippians 2, 5, and 6. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, we are going to expand that theme verse into the next couple. So if you're memorizing this on your own at home, uh, go ahead and work on verses 7 and 8 as well because we will be adding those to it. But that gives us the overview of what the book of Philippians is about, that we would think like Christ. Because if we think like Christ, guess what? We're going to live differently from the world. We're going to do things that just don't make sense to the rest of the world, and that's okay because we'll be then more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. In today's passage, we have three parties, if you will. We have Paul as the first person in the three parties. Uh, He is the apostle of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He is a tent maker by trade, but he is a church planter by vocation. By trade, he was a tent maker. That's how he earned his money. He, he specifically did not want to be a financial burden to the churches, especially since the church is new. Uh, and he, he told them just straight up, it's my right to extract money from you. You should pay me for what I'm doing. But I chose not to. And so he uh, was a tent maker by trade, but he was a church planter by vocation. Uh, he would go 
from place to place and start churches. Now, oftentimes we think of Paul traveling around, Paul and his cohort going from place to place. We think of people like D.L. Moody or Billy Sunday or Billy Graham. Uh, those were traveling evangelists who would go from town to town, spending maybe a week or two uh, doing special meetings, uh, having evangelistic meetings, um, and then moving on to the next place. Now, it's true, Paul would preach anytime he had an opportunity. So there were some spots where he would preach for a time and then move on, but most often his mode of operation was to go to a place and stay there long enough to establish a church, to make disciples, and out of those disciples form a church. So one of the parties we see in today's passage is Paul. The second and third parties in today's passage are also preaching Christ, just like Paul does. We do not know who these people are or how many of them there are. There could be just a few. It could be dozens. It could be hundreds. What we do know is that there are two types of preachers or preachers with two different characteristics. There are some who are for Paul and those who are against Paul. So the thrust of today's passage is, is not about who these people are. We could spend lots of time speculating, but it, it would be just that. It would be speculation. Uh, the, the bulk of our time is not about exactly what they're doing, but rather Paul's response to it. Today's passage is about the preeminence of the gospel and Paul's passion that the gospel be preached. So our big idea this morning is the gospel sets our priority. Now I could use that as a theme of a whole lot of passages, but I think it fits very, very well here. The gospel sets our priority. Have you ever been with someone doing ostensibly the same thing, but have very different experiences? Um, I think it was last summer we took the family to Adventureland, and we went on the galleon. If you've been to Adventureland, you know what I'm talking about. It's that thing that looks like a big old wooden ship that swings back and forth and swings pretty high. And uh, if you're an adventurous type, you want to sit way at the top because you get the biggest, uh, the biggest boost out of it. And if you're a little scared, you want to sit near the middle. Well, we were sitting somewhere near the middle, and as this ride was going on, I had one child beside me screaming in delight, loving every moment of it. And you guessed it, I had another child screaming in terror terror, just horrified the entire time. To make matters worse, the workers were cleaning up a, a mess on the exit ramp, and so they weren't finished cleaning up as our ride got done, and so they said, they came on the loudspeaker and said, we've got a surprise for you, you get to go again. <laughs> One child really loved that. The other one really did not. In fact, that one may never get on that ride again. They were doing the same thing. They were having the exact same experiences, but yet their response was just the exact opposite. This is happening in Paul's ministry. These people are observing Paul's vocation of preaching the gospel and planting churches. And some are responding very positively, and some are actually responding very negatively 
to Paul's ministry. We see in verses 15 and 16, some are motivated by passion. Some evangelize motivated by passion. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, and we'll deal with those in a minute. We're going to take the second half of verse 15 first. But others from good will. Verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Some who know of Paul's predicament have the same gospel glasses on that Paul has. They know that Paul has been preaching the word of Christ. They know that Paul has been planting churches. They know that as a result, Paul has been put in prison. They know and share Paul's passion that he has to preach Christ. It it didn't matter to him that he lost his freedom for preaching Christ because the gospel was a higher priority to him than his freedom. They knew these people that share in Paul's passion for preaching Christ, they knew that there was a threat of financial loss. They knew that there was threats of death. Paul had been threatened many times, and he still kept preaching. In fact, Paul uh, is kind of giving a callback to verse 14. If you want to look, look back there with me, verse 14 says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There was real threats. There was real loss potential for preaching Christ. And Paul says, I'm okay with it. And so did these other people. Because of what Paul had been going through, they were willing to sacrifice whatever it took in order to see the gospel go forth. Oh, that the power of the gospel would fill our hearts so much that we too would sacrifice whatever it took to proclaim the gospel. What sacrifices does it take for us to proclaim the gospel? Not a lot, frankly. Some preach Christ because they have seen the example of Paul's dedication and the results of it. They've seen the lost who have come to life. They've seen that the gospel has taken those who were dead in their trespasses and sins and has brought them to life in Jesus Christ. They've seen churches started. They've seen persecution by governing bodies. And in love for God and for Paul, these men proclaim Christ with boldness. What will we risk to proclaim the gospel of Christ? In my very short list of traveling evangelists, I mentioned Billy Sunday just a moment ago. Anyone familiar with the name Billy Sunday? Someone tell me what he was other than a preacher. Interesting. He was a baseball player. That's right. That was right. In fact, he was good. And he turned down a professional baseball salary to go and work in ministry. He took a 75% pay cut in order to share the gospel. Now, if that were today, I did look this up because I was curious, because I thought 
Baseball players get paid a whole lot more today. Uh, starting, if you're in, a, in the pros, the minimum payment, anyone know this one? The minimum wage is $500,000. I guarantee you there is no starting pastor that makes a fourth of that. That's okay. He was willing to give up his salary in order, in order to minister. Others have had strained family relationships because of Christ. If serving Christ would cause you to be disowned by your family, would you do it? It wasn't that long ago that missionaries who would go overseas and wanted to communicate back with family at home had to write a physical letter, put it in the mail, and hope that it gets there within the next six weeks. If they wanted to telephone, it cost them a dollar a minute. This was not very long ago that this was true. In other words, just one generation ago, missionaries going overseas had to sacrifice those family relationships. Yes, they were still family. Yes, they still got along, but they only got to see each other once every so many years. In fact, the, the concept of coming home for a furlough after four years of ministry is actually a relatively new concept. Um, many, many families would go, over, go overseas and, and some never returned or, or came back after 10, 15 years of ministry. I'm thankful that it's not the same today. But the point still stands. What would you sacrifice to proclaim the good news of Christ? the month of July. We just had the 4th of July recently, and we Americans love our freedoms, and rightfully so. But would you give up your freedom for the cause of Christ? Paul was for the gospel, and so were these others who preached Christ out of goodwill, but not everyone was like that. Not everyone was motivated by the same passion that Paul was. We see in verses 15 and 17, uh, evangelism motivated by resentment. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And verse 17 continues the thought. These proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Ambition. Some people are wired in such a way that personal gain is their only motivation. I think we see that in these people. Now, Paul does not state what gain these men are chasing after. In our day, there is such a thing as a celebrity pastor. Uh, these would be preachers more concerned with having a large crowd or having fame or simply pursuing greater wealth because uh, of their status as a celebrity pastor. It could be that these men were pursuing that type of celebrity. We don't know for certain what their ambition was other than the word that Paul gives us. It was selfish. Now, self-centeredness is never a godly attribute. We have a colloquial phrase that Perhaps you've used, perhaps you've heard, 
looking out for number one. And you know what that means, right? Looking out for yourself, uh, whether it's uh, looking out uh, for your own protection, looking out for uh, the, the security of your business, looking out for making more money, looking out for number one. Well, these men were doing that. They were looking out for number one. And what they counted as number one is not what God would have us count as number one. They were looking out for themselves. They proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. Secondly, since, not sincerely, insincerely. To be sincere is to have pure motives. Their actions in preaching the gospel may look the same as what the sincere people were preaching. It may even have the same success. People with wrong motivations can actually establish a church and make it look like it's successful and thriving. Their motivations are wrong. They're proclaiming Christ, thinking to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. Now, that to me is just fascinating. I mean, what did they really think of Paul? Did they think he was a snowflake? Now, that's not a term that came into vogue until just like a few years ago, very, very recently, uh, where people that are less resilient and more prone to taking offense than others uh, have been coined a snowflake. In fact, that definition made it into the dictionary. Can you believe that? Did they think Paul was a snowflake? That he couldn't handle any kind of criticism for things that they didn't like about him, but whatever it is that they didn't like about him, they, they preached the gospel of Christ to spite Paul, as though that was going to make his imprisonment worse somehow. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason may produce right results, but it's still sin. And we, we need to not gloss over that fact. These people were actively, deliberately sinning, even though they were preaching the gospel. The end does not justify the means. What sins did they have? Well, envy is one that he lists right here in our passage. Envy is the ill will of someone because of an advantage of another, whether real or perceived. So they were envious of Paul and, and the success, perhaps the ministry success that he'd had. Um, you'd think that his imprisonment would make that enviousness go away. Uh, but they, they had some sort of envy. They had rivalry. Uh, we use the term rivalry to talk about a competition, but uh, the biblical word is more than simply a competition. Biblical rivalry is a conflict from discord and strife. So there's that animosity that is uh, in, in that word, uh, which also comes out in selfish ambition that carries the concept of hostility. And they were desiring to hurt Paul. I mean, when is that right? When is it right to want affliction or trouble or suffering or persecution to, to be worse for someone? So these people are actively sinning and in a public enough way that Paul knows about it and could be calling, him, calling them out on it. He was an apostle. Uh, he was a, a God-ordained leader of uh, establishing the church, the church universal, and he had every right and every means to call them out for their sin, and he doesn't. He doesn't even, he, he just brushes past it. He, he calls it, 
but he doesn't really say anything that should happen because of their sin. Somehow these people were confident enough to be against Paul, to want him to suffer more while they themselves are preaching the gospel. And I don't, I'm not quite sure how that works. How, how can you justify those two things? I mean, sure, the Bible does have instances where it calls on God to bring pain and suffering to someone else. I'm thinking of the Psalms. There are a good number of imprecatory psalms. I love that word, so I'm going to use it. Imprecatory, to bring a curse upon someone. Uh, but, but when we see imprecatory psalms, it's David crying out for God to, uh, to strike down his enemy or something like that. So someone is against David, God's man. Someone is against God's purposes in God's man's life. And, God, and he says, God, take them out. So that's not anywhere remotely the same as what is happening to Paul here, is it? And the New Testament has various curses pronounced as well. Jesus himself pronounces curses in Matthew chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Actually, that's a fun chapter to read through. There's just a whole bunch of woes that he pronounces against the Pharisees because they, well, one of them is uh, you're like whitewashed tombs. You clean up the outside, but you're dead on the inside, saying spiritually they had no life in them. Um, the pattern we see in biblical curses in each and every case is that the one being accursed is one who is living rebelliously against God. Is Paul living rebelliously against God? No, not at all. Quite the opposite, actually. Paul is very faithfully living out God's will by proclaiming that salvation is made available to the Jews and to the Gentiles by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul was not bitter toward his haters. How do you feel about the people that don't like you? How do I feel about the people who don't like me? And yet Paul's response, verse 18, is that he's for the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Wait, what? <laughs> These people want you to have more harm come to you. You're like, what they're doing is, is sharing the gospel, and I'm, I'm good with that. I love that. If you, <clears throat> if you were in Paul's sandals, how would you respond? You, like Paul, are going about intently and dil diligently studying the word of God, learning the word of God, applying it, explaining it to others, helping them to apply it to anyone who will listen. You're trying to not only learn the word of God and teach the word of God, but you're actively doing what the word of God says. And then look at how Paul is being treated. 
He doesn't even seem to care that these men are against him, does he? They're actively sinning in, in, in a personal way. It's not just that they don't like him. It's sort of some sort of um, apathy, just don't even care about Paul. No, they, they actually want to inflict more pain on him in, in his imprisonment. Yet what we find is Paul is actually looking out for number one. But his number one is not himself. His number one is Jesus Christ. His number one is Christ and his sacrifice. Paul's number one motivation is to never forget the sin debt that Paul owed that Jesus paid. How would our lives be different if we constantly reminded ourselves of our sin debt that Jesus paid? Not to feel guilty for the sin, but to realize that burden is lifted. It's gone. It's not mine anymore. Paul was motivated to never forget the perfection that without Christ, he would fall short of. The perfection required to go to heaven. And and that is the requirement, isn't it? We must be absolutely 100% pure to enter heaven. Not 99.99%. That doesn't cut it. Paul was motivated by remembering that his perfection did not come from his works, did not come from his own righteousness that he could muster up. His perfection came from Jesus Christ. If I stand before God when this life is over and I have even one stain of sin or even one deficiency in my righteousness, there is no heaven for me. Does not the blood of Christ motivate us? Knowing that I am set free from that burden? See, the gospel sets our priority. Paul is a man who is all in for whatever he does. When he was unsaved, when he was a Pharisee, he knew the law inside out and back, inside out and backwards, he was all about Judaism. And when this new group of people called Christ followers, the ones who followed the way, when they came up, uh, he decided that that had to be pushed out. And so you know, with the blessing of other, uh, of other Pharisees and with other Jewish leaders, he would go around and persecute Christians, even having them put to death. He was all in for whatever it is he was doing, but that was wrong. God got a hold of him, saved him, called him to preach the gospel, and now Paul is all in on the right side of that transaction. And he knows that it's not about him. His priority is the gospel, not himself, not his own status, not his own freedom, not his own uh, wealth or whatever, his His priority is the gospel, and that's why he can be so nonchalant about how people are responding. If you were to just read the book of Philippians, just do it in one sitting, it doesn't take very long to do, you can very easily pass over these verses and miss how 
evil these men preaching the gospel are. And yet Paul doesn't call them out. Why? Because that's not his purpose. His purpose is that the gospel is going out. Now, if he had a face-to-face conversation with these men, don't you think he would correct them? Absolutely. Absolutely he would. But Paul is not about Paul. He's all about the gospel. He could honestly say that even though others were going about preaching the gospel with sinful motivations, he was genuinely glad that the gospel was going out. Why? Well, because he knows the power of the gospel. That when people hear that their sin debt is eternal in its weight, because it's a sin debt against an eternal God, and when people hear that there is no way to get rid of that sin debt a part of themselves on their own, and, and there's no way to earn the righteousness required to get to heaven on their own, when they hear that Jesus paid it all, that's good news. And people will respond in faith as the gospel goes out. That's why he's glad. People are being saved. Where is the gospel in your list of priorities? I hope that we would at least say, I want it to be first. I may not always live it out that way, but I want it to be first. Lord, help us to get there. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us prioritize the way that you would have us prioritize. You've given us many responsibilities in this, in this life, and, and many of them are biblical and godly responsibilities that we need to uh, attend to. Uh, and yet, it seems that the highest priority doesn't always get first place in our life. We don't always put Jesus and his gospel first. So it help us to examine ourselves and to uh, somberly, soberly assess how we live and that we might um, recognize how there are ways that we need to prioritize the gospel more. Uh, maybe unlike Paul when uh, we get upset at, at other people who share the gospel but maybe have their theology wrong in a different way. Lord, y- yeah, we want to be biblical in our theology but we want the gospel to go out. So help us to prioritize the gospel in that way. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be faithful to your word, to your commands that we all make disciples. And as we do that, help us to have the heart that Paul demonstrates by being more concerned with your mission of making disciples than we are concerned with other things. Father, we know that when we do this, that you will bless us, that you will help us to to genuinely be glad in circumstances that we might otherwise not be. And we know that as your word goes forth, your word will have its power, it will do its work, And we'll praise you for it. So, Father, thank you for the challenge from your word this morning. Use it in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.